0: Welcome to the All In For Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of the All In For Citrus podcast. A a very interesting show today. We do something a little bit different since it is the holiday season. We'll have some holiday traditions with citrus and some history coming up. We'll also talk about technology later on in the show, including water irrigation technology, which is very important. But as always, we're going to start off with Dr. Michael Rogers. Dr. Rogers, first and foremost, how are you doing, sir? Uh,
1: Doing well. Thank you, Taylor.
0: Uh, Talking today about some updates, Uh, we're, we're starting to kick off some some early season um, variety harvest. How are things looking in the field?
1: Well, uh, so far so good. Um, our, our harvest forecast for this year, um, I guess we're going to say, be optimistically say it's at least it's stable and maybe a little lower than years past. But uh, I've been talking to a lot of growers, uh, been in the field some the past couple of weeks, uh, looking at groves around the state, and um, as expected we are seeing um, higher levels of fruit drop in some of our early season varieties that are still being harvested especially our hamlins and that's not unexpected since those have always been our our problem area with hlb they tend to to drop a lot sooner Um, and so those are the issues that that growers i'm hearing about are having the most problem with right now i have seen some groves early season hamlin groves that are that were being harvested uh, just this last week that the, the drop was minimal. So there are some bright spots out there, but but if, if there is a problem that growers are seeing overall, it is that early season fruit drop. And um, our specialists have gotten a lot of calls about that, you know, what asking what, what could be done now to try to prevent that. And unfortunately it, it's really too late to prevent fruit drop on these, these early season hamlins that, that need to be harvested now. Um, the the practices that need to be done to prevent fruit drop really need to occur much earlier in the season and I know a lot of folks have been to our seminars we've had in the past um, uh, where Dr. Tripti Vashishth is working a lot on fruit drop and some of the things that she's showing is you know it, it comes down to what you do not not that far after fruit set that really sets you up for a better harvest um, with your early season fruit later on in the season so, Um, You know, our advice to folks right now is if if you've got groves that are the early season varieties that are dropping, you know, pay attention to that, note those blocks, and um, once we get past the bloom and fruit set for this year, that's when you start doing your programs to ensure you have uh, less drop in the coming year. So it's something you really have to plan ahead. And Dr. Vashish will be continuing to give presentations uh, throughout the year on that. So you'll hear more from her on the, the great work that she's doing on fruit drop and how we can minimize that while you know, maintaining our yields and, and even
0: improving fruit quality. Good information there. So, so take some notes, manage it as best you can this year, but really nothing you can do until next season.
1: That's correct. For, for those early season varieties, absolutely.
0: Very good. You mentioned uh, Tripti. She's also been busy with the Flower Bud Induction Advisory. Uh, what is that and, and, and why is this important? Yeah, so I think most
1: of the growers in Florida are very familiar um, with the, the Flower Bud Induction Advisory uh, System. And this is something that was was started and maintained for many years by the late Dr. Gene Albrego. Um uh, this was one of his his key programs, uh, outreach programs for the industry. Uh, Gene was a, a very popular guy you know, at this time of the year as people start planning ahead for the upcoming bloom that will be happening in, you know, ma- mainly February and March here in Florida. Um, because growers uh, want to get those updates on on the, the induction days, what's happening, so it can help guide grove management decisions going into the bloom season things like your irrigation and, and fertilization and, and uh, other um, chemicals that you're applying to help set bloom. Uh, you know, this is all important and you wanna get those time just right. So uh, Tripti has is, is, is updated that. She started those updates online in November. Um, they're coming out every couple of weeks. And um, normally we have the uh, flower bud induction advisory. There's usually a button on the front webpage at the CREC. And I noticed just last week that that button is not there yet this year. But um, if growers don't have that uh, advisory webpage already bookmarked in their browser on their internet, um, what you can do is right now you can go to the CREC webpage and at the top, Uh, If you click on the resources tab of the website, it'll give you some drop down options and under outreach you can click on the flower bud induction website. It'll take you to that web page and and bookmark it while you can. Uh, And then we've got the this year's uh, flower bud induction advisories there where you can read those as well as past because sometimes growers want to go back and and compare how things are doing this year uh, to years past as they're making their decisions. So all that's on the website, and we'll, we'll be putting up additional links to make it even easier for folks to find. So, um, But we're, we're very
0: uh, grateful that Tripty's got that going for us, and uh, I know that's going to be very useful for growers. Good. They can go check that out online. Uh, it, it is the holiday season, as I mentioned earlier in the show, and you know we wish everyone a, a happy holidays as we move forward here. But this is a busy, busy time of year for citrus. Uh, looking ahead here, we've got some spring meetings lined up. What's going on?
1: Yeah, so um, our citrus uh, extension agents our county agents uh, have been working on a series of, of uh, webinars um you know because of the pandemic we've not been able to do as those in-person large group meetings like we would like to um so we've been talking throughout the year about all the different things we're doing online and this is a new series that actually just kicked off the citrus agent started um uh this past week um where uh growers it's kind of as in a kind of an oj break format that we use here in florida and um uh the first, this, this first webinar was actually on December 15th, and that first speaker uh, we've been talking about was Dr. Vashish, and she was talking about those two popular topics of flower bud induction as well as managing fruit drop. And so uh, if you missed it, um, uh, that may be posted online uh, later on, but there are going to be some more seminars. So they've got three more seminars li- where webinars lined up uh, that are coming up, and the next one is going to be December the 22nd. And two of our agents, uh, Chris Oswalt and Asia Payalillo, uh, will be talking about the Winter Outlook and Cold Protection Program. Then once we get into the new year, um, uh, Dr. Christopher Vincent um, will be presenting a webinar on January the 12th. And he's going to be talking about his latest findings, um, research findings on using kaolin clay. Uh, a lot of growers use that to control psyllids, but it also has some beneficial effects on HLB-affected trees. So he's going to be talking about the latest on his research with kale and clay. And then on, on January 26th, um, Dr. Arnold Schumann will, will be uh, speaking for that webinar, He'll be talking and demonstrating how growers can use his new artificial intelligence app uh, to diagnose citrus disorders in the field. And so this is, you know, there's been a lot of attention and interest in using artificial intelligence, and and this is a a new technology for most people. It's it's very exciting to be able to use this. So he's he's going to talk about how people can use this, and what you can expect from that. So, and there'll be more webinars announced um, as as the planning progresses throughout the spring um, springtime. And uh, but of course, we'll learn more about the webinars if you haven't heard about them already or or signed up. If you'll go to the um, citrus extension agent's website. Uh, under the registration um, section, they've got uh, the links to all of these different webinars and, and the ones that will be posted in the future. Uh, details about the CEUs and CCA credits that will be available for the webinars. And again, that's, that's where you want to go to register for those events. So I encourage everybody to check out the Citrus Agents website and sign up for those webinars that, that they're interested in attending.
0: I realize this is a, a continuing, ongoing conversation with COVID-19, and that's why we're doing some of these webinars. Uh, the Citrus Show has already been postponed, is that correct? And, and and are we looking at any idea when some in-person stuff might be happening? Uh, yes, that, that's correct. Uh, the Florida
1: Citrus Show, which is held um, in the winter each year in Fort Pierce, uh, it, it was scheduled in 2021 for uh, early February. And that has been postponed because, um, as everybody uh, is aware, you know things have not gotten any better right now. Probably a little worse for us right now in terms of COVID, and and we wanna, we really want to have as many people at the at that event in person as possible, um, and we, we don't want to have to limit numbers or anything like that. So, um, uh, Dr. Johnny Ferrarezi and the organ, who's at the Indian River Research and Education Center, and the other organizers of that meeting. Um, have made the decision, you know, to to try to make sure this meeting is as is, is good as it can be for everybody in person. It, it has been postponed for February. Probably, hopefully, it'll it'll take place in May. And really, that's going to depend on how things go between now and then. Um, uh, again, we'll see how things are. And, and, you know, cramming a lot of people into a small uh, meeting room for presentations, we, you know, we don't want to put people at risk. But um, but we definitely want to get people together and we're excited. I, I know there's a lot of good news coming out, you know, when we look at the potential for vaccines to be available soon for people. And, you know, we, we just hope that as the new year starts, um, the news is going to get better and better and we'll be able to have those larger in-person events starting maybe even as soon as May. So I just tell everybody to, to stay tuned and, um, you know, we'll hear more from those organizers of that meeting um, hopefully shortly after the new year. And uh, again, as soon as we're able to get um, meetings back in person, I mean, that's our goal. You know, We, we know there's a lot of benefit to having per- person-to-person, in-person contact these meetings, and and that's where we want to be. So we appreciate everybody's patience um, and, and continue to join in on our webinars, and you know, we're going to get back in person as soon as we can.
0: You can find links uh, on all of this information at citrusresearch.com. .ifis.ufl.edu uh, a lot going on and uh, again a, a good update to kick off this episode Citrus Research and Education Center Director Michael Rogers thank you for your time all right thank you we're now joined by assistant professor of agricultural engineering at the Indian River Research and Education Center Dr Sandra Guzman Dr Guzman first of all thank you for joining me
2: Thank you for inviting me Taylor
0: Let's start with uh, just kind of an overview of what you do uh, at the uh, Research Center. Um, Let's talk about what your program looks at and what you're focusing on.
2: Uh, Yeah, Uh, my role as the leader of the Smart Irrigation and Hydrology Lab here at the Indian River uh, Rec is to mostly promote research and extension programs for water management in Florida. I focus mostly on precision irrigation uh, for citrus production and the impacts of uh, land use in hydrological processes. Uh, In my lab, uh, we provide growers with easy-to-use solutions uh, to manage irrigation. Um, My team and I have a saying, usually, we say, if it's easy to use, it's useful. So uh, we really work to get there. It is a pretty slow process, but we believe that this is the best way to generate um, a very sustainable water management strategy. We use uh, top-notch technologies, including uh, smart devices and sensors for irrigation. We use artificial intelligence to forecast hydrological variables. Uh, we implement and evaluate act BMPs, best management practices, and monitor uh, soil, water, plant interactions to make decisions, support uh, tools for easy irrigation management.
0: I love that motto you guys have. uh, If it's easy to use, it's useful. That's great. And I think that's one of the issues when you're looking at uh, adoption of some of this technology. So I'm glad that you guys have that as a focus.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, It is a little complicated uh, to get an easy tool to implement because we are humans and each one of us have Particular needs, but um, although it's a pretty slow process, we always work to get it to get it right and to get it uh, for basically our stakeholders here.
0: Very good. So you you work directly with growers then um, on irrigation.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I am currently working with citrus growers here at the Indian River uh, in programs that. Mostly involve the translation of data coming from sensors in the field to practice. So, there are many sensors in the market and um, they have multiple capabilities, um, and many growers are already using sensors, any kind of sensors for irrigation management. Uh, I am working with these growers that already have these sensors in the field and that may not have the latest software or the latest uh, sensor and require an easier systems to, ma- uh, so to manage irrigation. But I am also working with growers that want to upgrade or incorporate these kind of new technologies in the field or that want to have the latest telemetry systems. Um, we currently have multiple sensors, multiple systems and tools. and with this boom of uh, AI and cloud computing, we have many options for for a better management of irrigation, but uh, this is a little bit overwhelming for the growers. And uh, we are trying to, uh, first of all, continuously verify that the data that they are getting uh, is reflecting what the growers are seeing in the field. And with that, we are currently developing in my lab uh, decision support systems to reduce this burden.
0: I love that. That is fantastic. You're right. There is a influx of devices, right? You had lots of sensors, lots of different things. Some were open source, some weren't open source. So you're kind of helping growers with all of that. And you're right, that that can be overwhelming.
2: It is. It is. Unfortunately, um, things that are new uh, have a little bit of a learning curve. And we are in that process. So Uh, Right now, we are working with growers that have multiple kind of uh, irrigation systems and automation systems. So, for example, uh, we are working in collaboration with uh, a grower in the Indian River region here called Citrus Management. And uh, we are evaluating a BMP that they have uh, that are uh, the fabric mulch ground covers Um, Basically, we have over there a fully automated irrigation system. So we can get information in in the center computers, in the phone, uh, we can manage everything by a click. Like if we we click in our computer, uh, we will activate irrigation, everything will be automatic. But we have other kind of uh, collaborators, uh, such as, for example, Bob Adair at the Florida Research Center for Act Sustainability. In his case, uh, they have sensors in the field, but they don't have an automated system or an option to see the data in their computers. In that case, uh, my lab uh, developed an Internet of Things uh, for Mr. Adair's team to see and to visualize the data in his computer. Uh, an IoT system basically is like a cell phone. Uh, you can connect multiple sensors and see the data and visualize the data in, in, in these particular systems. Uh, many companies, uh, irrigation companies already have these systems available, um, but that's, it has a cost. Uh, in our case, we are providing these to, to the growers that have uh, sensors already.
0: That's very good. Yeah, I know when the whole uh, IoT Internet of Things came out, uh, it was a little confusing, and and that can put off some growers. And I think when you talk about artificial intelligence, um, some growers have adopted it, like you've you've uh, mentioned in some of the sensors. But a lot of growers are still kind of iffy about AI and 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 are kind of standoffish about it. But I mean, bottom line is. AI can help with, especially in irrigation, AI can help a grower.
2: Yeah, definitely can help. And uh, we are, as I say before, we are in a learning curve kind of process right now. But uh, if we have a system to AI, uh, we can usually evaluate things that uh, we cannot count or we cannot see right away um, in in our daily life uh, crop management um, day, if you wanna say it in that way. So for example, if we are getting any kind of symptoms uh, related to uh, droughts or the rainy season, for example, the rainy season that we are uh, having this year and hopefully um, stops here soon, Uh, we can see the impact uh, of these weather patterns in the yield of of any citrus tree. So we can use AI for that. Basically, uh, AI is something that uh, is a system that can help us combine all the information that we already have from multiple sources and is already there, uh, to see and to evaluate things that we may not be able to see with our own eyes right away.
0: Uh, it's a step towards precision agriculture in all aspects, and I think that's the important part. Uh, so it sounds like you have some um, extensive experience uh, in AI. Have you previously worked in AI for irrigation?
2: Uh, yes. Yeah, so as part of my uh, PhD work and my doctoral work uh, uh, we uh, we initiate and we did the basis for an early warning system uh, on irrigation based on groundwater. Uh, so the goal was to give uh, growers and agencies uh, warnings when uh, we had critical critically low groundwater levels in order to adjust uh, pumping for irrigation so the growers can maintain, An adequate yield uh, every every year based on the weather conditions and based on the availability of water. Um, Over there, uh, I evaluate two algorithms uh, using artificial intelligence to forecast daily groundwater levels for up to three months uh, in advance. And these forecasts at the time were the first of its kind and uh, was uh, information that we were getting Up to three months compared to the data that uh, agencies were providing that was uh, every year or every two years. So uh, we gave a rapid warning system for the growers to adjust irrigation in critical uh, times.
0: That's exciting. Three months advance on um, some of that groundwater. That's that's. That could be very useful information.
2: Definitely, definitely. And in in this case, uh, in the future, because this is uh, this is work that is still ongoing, uh, the idea is to have uh, forecast, like the weather forecast uh, app that you can see in your cell phone, uh, in order to see how the water is moving and um, more than evaluate yield at the same time evaluate the health of the aquifers um, around. Um, Mississippi, the Mississippi Delta in that case. But um, in the future, we can implement these systems as well here in Florida.
0: Exciting research going on at the Indian River Research and Education Center. Uh, Dr. Guzman, if somebody is listening and maybe is a little bit hesitant um, about uh, getting involved or had questions about some of the stuff that they have uh, implemented in their program, I'm assuming that, that they can contact you and reach out to you for some help and support and uh, look at what's going on?
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, my lab works uh, with uh, all of these hesitation and uh, all these questions also serve as information to upgrade and to make better uh, our modeling and simulation program with ai so any question uh, or uh, if you want to contact me feel free to contact me at uh, at, uh, here at the lab at the indian river rec at this point uh, we are looking for growers uh, that uh, want to share the data from the soil moisture sensors Uh, to improve uh, our models. Uh, We are helping with irrigation recommendations. So if you want to uh, be part of this team, uh, we are also very happy to talk to you.
0: Very good. And you can find more information online at the Indian River Research and Education Center's uh, division of the UF-IFAS website. You can find all the contact information there. Dr. Sandra Guzman, thank you so much for your time today.
2: Thank you so much, Taylor. And have a good afternoon.
0: We're now going to transition over to something we don't normally do on the All In For Citrus podcast, something kind of fun as we approach the holiday season. I am now joined by communication communications specialist for the Citrus Research and Education Center, Ruth Borger. Uh, Ruth, first of all, thank you so much for joining me today. This is going to be kind of fun.
3: It's my pleasure, Taylor. You know, between you and I, I know you really wanted to book Santa Claus for this segment, but he's just a little busy.
0: (laughs) Well, very good. We're going to be talking about uh, something that I wasn't totally aware of. uh, So this will be some good information here, and that is... There's a pretty extensive history of uh, citrus during Christmas and the holidays. Let's just start real basic here. Uh, uh, give me some history here on, on some of the citrus that is in, involved in these as we, as we move forward with the holiday season.
3: You know, Taylor, it is a really rich and uh, delightful history. It's been around for centuries, literally. Um, So we really associate a lot of citrus giving and its presence at the holidays around the 19th century, especially in the United States and North America. But I want to go way back way back to the 3rd century A.D. and St. Nicholas. So there's a real connection between Citrus and St. Nick. It's a fascinating story. Um, St. Nick was really based on a historical character, a bishop of uh, the city of Myra. His name was Nicholas, and he had a lot of wonderful legends surrounding him as far as gift-giving. The one that's the most intriguing is that, as the legend goes... There were three young women who were poor, and at that time, their father was very um, upset because he was worried that his daughters would be sold into a life of ill will because they had no dowries. Well, the story goes that the bishop, St. Nick, um, basically threw uh, bags of gold in the evening through their windows and they had had their stockings by their fire drying out and the gold bags fell into the stockings well which obviously saved the future for these young women so fast forward as the story goes that round spheres of gold think of oranges then became given uh, tokens within the stockings. so some of us always had an orange in our stocking. And that's where the story originated, all the way back to the Bishop of Myra, Nicholas, aka St. Nick.
0: That's very interesting. And then I assume that uh, there's probably this, this gets involved a little bit during the Great Depression days.
3: It does. So now fast forward to the 19th century, and we all know the story of a visit from St. Nicholas where stockings were hung by the chimney with care. So the idea of a stocking was really in the 1800s, as early as 1823. And that then took off. But in the Great Depression, the, remember that's the period of the 19 late 1920s and 1930s in America, you would hang your stocking, but people did not have a lot of resources for extravagant Christmas gifts. So having an orange at the holiday times, the winter for many of, cold winter for many of the people in the United States, was considered a real treat. And so that's where it became very popular um, in the Great Depression and moving forward has been Carried on.
0: So I, we also were talking beforehand a little bit about uh, there was it was used in some advertising too in the early 1900s, right?
3: Right. Well, you know, every good product needs a good PR person behind them. So <laughs> we have to give some kudos to our colleagues out in California. So the story goes that the California Fruit Growers Exchange began a massive sales campaign for its Sunkiss label around 1908. And they would promote, especially in the New York City and New England areas, um, in retail stores and soda fountains, they would have bright orange advertisements placed in the windows with a cartoon Saint Santa Claus offering as an orange as a most helpful gift. So you, you know, every, behind every good uh, product, there's a good PR person there. Uh, promoting it as well
0: so that's good to know so so citrus in the stocking christmas morning that is uh, something that we all can do i think that's fun and a tradition that's worth keep going uh is there any certain sort of citrus we're looking for here
3: No, any citrus will do. But that really makes a great point because citrus, especially at holiday time, has a lot of symbolism, especially in other cultures. So, for example, um, in the Chinese New Year, they symbolize good fortune and abundance. And they would often characterize that with satsumas or tangerines or mandarin oranges. In Russia, um, boxes and plates of oranges are special treats as well as popular decorations. Some winter solstice celebrations especially if you get into the Norwegian or Scandinavian countries. Um, Citrus fruit symbolizes the sun and the promise of longer days, you know, and shorter nights. In Canada, and this is a fascinating story. So think of where British Columbia, Canada is on the West coast. Well, it's heavily populated with Japanese um, immigrants, um, and especially in the late 1800s, late 1800s. Well, they would have from their families in Japan, sending them over satsuma oranges. And those shipments of oranges would then make their way eastward across Canada from the port of Vancouver, you know, 1890s all the way to the present day. So satsumas were very popular um, in, in Canada, even to this day. And I was just talking to a colleague who is from Canada, and she goes, oh, no, I remember getting those as a child. So, you know, it's fascinating to see how some of these maybe simplistic Um, traditions, though, have a rich, rich heritage. And I hope people will continue to Keep them going in in the future.
0: Absolutely. the 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 thing I am familiar with with citrus uh, during the holidays, of course, is the gift boxes that uh, are mailed out. It's a big market for Florida. These gift boxes of citrus. Um, not the only option, though. Where's a bunch of different stuff we could be doing here?
3: Well, I'm so glad you asked that because you know, yes, I send. I'm getting ready to send some to my uh, family, um, and then it's important to follow some rules with that that we can talk about in a little bit, but you know, um, Anything from a, a citrus pop-up card, where you pop it open and a citrus tree pops out. I think this is fascinating. So you can you can buy those online. Um, there's a company called Love Pop Cards. I don't have any stock in that company. Um, and then everything <laughs> from wonderful f- uh, food and drink. I mean, there's all sorts of alcoholic beverages, from beer to wine. There's an orange liqueur that's made and sold by St. Petersburg, Florida distillery, and they feature Florida temple oranges, the whole peels and all, which is supposedly very tasty. I've not had that. Um, and then, of course, there's all the candles and the scented um, lotions, even scented hands um, hand sanitizer, a very popular, timely gift this type of year, especially during the situation we're in across the country. Um, and then don't forget the homemade ideas, too. There's all sorts of Body scrubs, even a kitchen cleaning scrub that you can even make by yourself. Um, You can make these candles. You can make bird feeders. You can make a pomodoro. It's kind of an old-fashioned thing where you would like put uh, cloves in a in a piece of citrus. All sorts of kinds of decorations as well. It's very easy to find how to do these things on the internet um, just by a simple search, you know, homemade citrus gifts. They'll walk you through the process, but it's just something different. It's, your only limitation is your own creativity.
0: Uh, it's interesting you say that. I, I didn't even think about this until you mentioned it, but I made those pomodores when I was a kid yeah. with the cloves in the orange. Those things smell fantastic. And I will vouch for the fact that Tipler's orange liqueur is very good. Uh, we uh, Looking at this, you, you guys are going to have some social media highlights coming out that people can take a look at here coming up on some citrus stuff, right?
3: Absolutely. You know, during the end of the year, it's a little bit easier time or a little bit more like hearted, as you said. And so we're going to be featuring um, some of the information that I just mentioned will be on our social media. We're going to have some citrus recipes, you know, so all sorts of fun things that you can eat Um I think we have to stay away from the alcoholic ones, but we can uh, put some good citrus recipes on. In fact, the IFAS Extension Bookstore has a number of citrus books or a number of uh, recipe books that definitely feature Florida citrus. And just Google IFAS Extension Bookstore, and, and they will be glad to send you out a book. They're very reasonably priced, and they also feature other wonderful recipes from across the Florida as well.
0: Very exciting, and the people will have to take a look at that. And remember, there's an important reminder here when you are um, buying or sending uh, citrus out from Florida. Right? Uh, we want to use um, certified people, right?
3: Absolutely. And this is, is, is with all seriousness. Um, it's very important. There are some state statutes about this. We don't want to um, spread disease, uh, and we want to make sure that that fruit is packaged properly, that it uh, is not only healthy fruit that is sent, but it also that it is uh arrives safely. So the best way to do this is to go online and look at the Florida gift fruit shippers. You can find that, and I am going to give you that website. It's fgfsa.com, standing for Fruit um, Florida fruit Gift Fruit um, Association. And there's a whole list of different uh, suppliers to do that. You cannot go out and buy your fruit and ship it yourself. Uh, that, frankly, is against the law. We don't want anyone to spend any time in jail during this Christmas season because of their good intentions of sharing good Florida sunshine. Um, you know, just go down to the, to the shipper or contact them online order it. I would recommend we order it early because everybody is shipping everything now this time of year.
0: Helping us uh, spread the citrus cheer this (laughs) holiday season. Communication specialist for the Citrus Research and Education Center, Ruth Borger, thank you so much for your time.
3: It's great and happy holidays, everyone.
0: And that concludes this episode of the All In for Citrus podcast from the UF IFAS Citrus Team, Southeast Agnet Radio Network, and Citrus Industry Magazine. We want to wish you and your family a safe and happy holiday season. Hopefully you find a piece of citrus in your stocking this year. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.